I'm not going to take long this morning. I know you say, I've heard that before. Uh, we do want to give time for, uh, we don't want to rush baptism. So, you know, I, I certainly don't want to uh, uh, take too long here. But I, I do want to say some things. Uh, going back to what we've been talking about for the past month, which is the kingdom of God. And uh, in the words of Jesus, the kingdom is like this. You know, we've said this many times, but uh, in trying to understand the kingdom of God, the first thing we usually do is we try to put our uh, boundaries and our understanding and our limits on it. And uh, really, uh, the kingdom of God is so huge and so infinite and so, um, so much better than we thought that sometimes it defies our own imagination. And there's a reason that Jesus, uh, when he began to talk about the kingdom, there's a reason he didn't go point by point and say, the kingdom of God, these are the rules of the kingdom, this is the way it works, and this is, you know, when he talked about the kingdom, he began to paint pictures for them. And it's not because they were dumb and uneducated. You know, he's not just like, well, you, you Galilee folks won't get it unless I tell you a story. You know, he began to paint pictures and tell stories uh, because in those pictures and stories, it, it was going to change the way they looked at it. it was, he, he, was, he was able to give them something that they couldn't just comprehend with their mind. And even then, his disciples later said, you know, why do you talk in parables? Ah, we, we don't really know. It. We, don't, we don't get what you're talking about. And he said, well... To you, it's been granted to know the mysteries. And I'll explain this to you. But he says, a lot of people out there, they're just going to hear this. They're going to tune it out. They're going to go home and not know what I was talking about. But I'm going to explain to you, God has granted you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. You know, the kingdom of God can't be understood through your mere intellect. It can't be understood in a college class. It can't be understood just by textbook. The kingdom of God is something that God reveals. He uncovers it for you. That's what revelation means. It means uncovering. And so there are things that are hidden from us, and, and they're not hidden from us, they're hidden for us. But there are things that you can't, you're just not going to be able to get there on your own wisdom. You know, 1 Corinthians 1 says, if by the wisdom of the world they could have found God, they would have found God. God had to reveal some things to us. Listen, it's like, I, we, I've used this example before, but imagine... Imagine you had a 2D world and it was living and it was active. Two dimensions, it was all flat. And, and you created these, these characters in this two dimensions and this flat reality. And you, you know, you're there and you're trying to communicate to them that you, that you exist and they kind of have a concept of you, but they don't understand the world you live in is 3D. They don't get that. So imagine if to explain a 3D world to a 2D group of people, you went in two-dimensional form and began to talk to them about a whole other dimension. Wouldn't they be freaked out for a minute? Because all they know is flat. All they know is side to side. They don't know there's a whole, there's depth. They don't know that, that you could turn around. Like, you know, this is what Jesus did. He took on our form and came into our world that has limitation and explained to us a kingdom that doesn't have any limitation. 
So, you know, this is the powerful thing is that sometimes we so often want to put the things of God in our understandable boundaries and God says here's you're going to have to trust me I'm going to have to unveil this to you I'm going to have to expand the way your heart and your mind work so that you can understand things you never would get to on your own Einstein's not smart enough to understand this but God can reveal it he said when the disciples came back after casting evil spirits out and preaching the kingdom they came back excited and Jesus said he just turned up to God and he said I'm so thankful you have revealed this stuff to babies. Now, you and I, if we just came back to our rabbi and we're excited to tell him what happened on our latest mission trip, and he says to you, oh, God revealed this stuff to babies. I might be insulted, you know? I'm a grown man. Don't call me a baby. But <laughs> Jesus is like, you, you, you revealed this stuff to a bunch of country bumpkins. You revealed this stuff to a bunch of you know, just, just dummies, you know? Not that country bumpkin means dummies, but you know. <laughs> Not at all. Some of the smartest people I know live in the country. Thank God. Backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> the disciples were fishermen from Galilee, okay? My point is they weren't educated, and the Bible says as much in the book of Acts. You reveal it to these babies. And here, here's, here's the cool thing. Let's read in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read really quick a couple of parables that Jesus told to explain the kingdom. So in this series, we've called it the kingdom is like. And we've gone back to the places where Jesus described the kingdom. And he gave them pictures to compare to. In Matthew chapter 13, there are a bunch of... Uh, uh, stories of the kingdom, a bunch of parables here. In verse 31, Matthew 13, 31, it says, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, if you, if you were to see a mustard seed, I mean, it's incredibly small. It's not, I mean, seeds have different sizes. Mustard seed is really small. And in Jesus' context, it was one of the smallest seeds in, in their culture. It's one of the smallest seeds they're going to come across. He says, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. I mean, it's, it's a very simple parable, but it's got a profound truth that the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms we build. When we build kingdoms, we build them big and we build them, you know, shock and awe. We want people to see the power of our kingdom. Where Jesus says, God entrusts the most powerful kingdom to the tiniest and most fragile, by appearance, seed. That's an amazing thought. It's an amazing thing to me that though God could create everything in its full form right away, right? He created, he, he didn't create Adam as a baby. He created Adam as a full-grown man. So God can create anything full-grown. And yet he didn't. I think Jesus came as a baby. He, he could have just put Jesus, Jesus could have just showed up, boom, here I am. Here to do miracles, smack, 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 you're healed, you're healed. All right, let's go to the cross, let's die, let's be... No, but he, Jesus is born in a backwards environment. Uh, a, a little baby has to grow for 30 years before he even starts his ministry. So many things in our life that God begins start as seeds. That's how God works. If you read your Bible from front to back, you're going to notice a theme and it's seed and harvest. 
It's the rhythm of God's creation. We find out that it's not limited to his creation on earth. It's part of everything he does. You know, the Bible says, as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest. We find out that this is even a heavenly concept. It's not just bound to this earth. It's something that is beyond his creation here. Everything works. He, he, this, is, this is a rhythm. This is something he's placed into being. And so what he says over and over again to his people is, don't take lightly when I do small things that seem small to you, because that's how I start everything. I start everything small. I know many of you and many of us, God's given us dreams. And, and God sometimes gives you the, the big picture dreams so you can get excited. So what we, what we want to do is we're always looking for that big picture dream. You know, like when's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? I've had so many Christians that come and, and, and say, listen, this is the dream God put on my heart, so let's make it happen. And they want to start with that big dream, and I understand that. But you know, so many things that God does doesn't start with the big picture. It starts, I gave you that picture to know what it looks like. Now start with this. Start here. This is the seed moment. And the thing about a seed is it takes faith. That's right. And we're going to see that in Mark chapter 4. Turn to Mark 4 with me real quick. It takes faith when you're talking about seeds because you can't control the growth of a seed. You can water it. You can give it an environment to grow. You plant it. But you can't make something grow. Only God can do that. Mark chapter 4 verse 26. Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who throws his seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. His part was to sow. His part was to water. And his part was to harvest. But you notice what his part was not to do. Make that thing grow. Because you can't. What did he say? He said the soil itself will produce it. The soil will cause it to grow. You know, uh, uh, I listened back to my wife's message when I was preaching across town. It was skipping out on you guys. Uh, I was preaching at another church in town a few weeks ago. And something, you know, it was just an excellent message that Pastor Tia preached. It really blessed me. Um, but I, I was listening back and she said something. Now she told me that she wasn't the first one to say it. So, but I still think it was brilliant. Um, she made this point that you know, and maybe you remember it, that, that, you know, heaven has streets of gold and pearly gates and crystal seas and God uses his expensive stuff to build everything. And, but yet he forms man out of the dust and the dirt and we're just dirt bags and, you know, all of that, right? Why couldn't you make us out of gold or diamonds or, you know? And what she said just stuck with me when she said that, you know, have you ever tried to put a seed in gold? Have you ever tried to put a seed in a diamond? You see, we, we underestimate dirt because it doesn't seem very special to us. But gold can't produce life. It is valuable, but it can't produce life. What's more valuable to you? Something that you can spend or something that can literally grow and incubate life? God created humanity in his image. He created us with the ability to be incubators for a seed that he sows in us. In the natural and in the supernatural, we can grow life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
And so, so God will put stuff in you that seems so in, insignificant. He puts stuff in your life that seems so insignificant. You don't give it a second thought. And yet, he has created you and he's created the environment around you to produce something from a small seed. So the worst thing we can do is throw out seed because it it's not our dream. Now, my dream looks like this. You know, God put this on my heart. This is what it should look like. This is what it should look like. So we throw out the small things because, no, I got to dream bigger. Yeah, dream bigger. But dreaming big doesn't mean throwing out the small. In fact, you have to keep, the small is there to create the big. Often when we read the scripture, our definition of big changes, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. So if we, if we know that Jesus, when he returns, is coming back in all his glory, and uh, there's going to be a couple of stages to that, but we know eventually he's going to rule and reign right on the planet here, and every knee is going to bow. So everybody will acknowledge he's Lord, and he's going to look, he's going to be terrifying to some and, and really cool looking to others, depending on which side of the line you stand on. But he's going to look, you're not going to, you're not going to say, is that the guy? You're not going to go, oh, him? Is he? You're going to know. You're going to know who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. And if you didn't pick it up by context clues, the big tattoo on his thigh might give it away. (laughs) Which literally says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not hiding this. You're going to get it real quick. Eyes like fire. Hair like wool. Feet, legs like bronze that's been sitting in the fire. I mean, you will know who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. Here, it's not going to take faith to go, well, I'm just going to have to believe that humble carpenter is my king. You're going to know. So every knee will bow at that moment. Now, when Jesus was resurrected, a lot more people believed in Jesus after the resurrection than after the crucifixion. Jesus appeared to fi- over 500 people, Paul said. Over 500 people believed when they saw the risen Christ. Do you know how many of those people were at the cross? Maybe three, four, five? A bunch of women and one of his disciples. Thank God for women that believed when all the men ran away. Right? In a culture that said the women aren't strong. And the men are the only valuable witnesses. It was the women who were chosen to first bring the gospel. The first apostles... In other words, the ones trusted with the message of the gospel were women. Their culture didn't give them any status. God did. That's pretty cool. But more people believed at the resurrection. Okay. So, a lot of people are going to believe when he comes back. A lot of people believed when he was resurrected. Not so many when he walked the earth after he freaked them out with talk about drink my blood, eat my flesh. That freaked people out. They left. So we're noticing that in every stage of his ministry, there's some highs and there's some lows, but there's some obvious things that bring people to him and they get it. But now think about this. Think about those people that came and worshipped a baby. Do you know how crazy that is to worship a baby? What's that baby going to do for you? What's that baby doing for you right now? You see... Even when Jesus did come in the fullness of his ministry, what were they looking for? A king to beat the Romans up. Somebody to just flex and do work and like set them free from the bad guys. That's what they were looking for. They despised the true ministry that Jesus gave them. The life and the freedom that he brought. They despised it. They didn't think much of it. But, but, but that was the powerful stuff. That was way bigger. Him defeating death, hell, and the grave was a lot bigger than defeating the, the, the Romans. 
The Romans were gone in, in a few hundred years. Satan was defeated on that day. The enemy of our souls was defeated. Now think about that. Think about coming and worshiping a baby. A baby. Giving him gold. What's he going to do with that? Giving him, you know, frankincense and myrrh. All of these things had symbolism, had importance, had meaning. But it took people to recognize that, that there's value in something that, that doesn't immediately, the world doesn't look at this baby and say, oh my goodness, it's a king. He's born to a young couple in a stable for animals in a little town in one of the smallest communities and the smallest tribes. The Old Testament prophecy said, you're too little to be considered among the great clans of Judah. But out of you I will bring a ruler. That's what he says in Micah. Isn't that amazing? And you study the scripture and God does this over and over again. I know I've said this. But God does this over and over again. He, he takes insignificant places, little places, little people, and, and other things that people think little of, and he uses them to do amazing things. Little places, little people, and little moments. He uses all of these to plant his seeds. How many arguments do you see in the Bible, people arguing with God based on their status? Right? Gideon. I'm the smallest guy in the smallest family of the smallest tribe of, of a country that's getting its butt kicked. Do you want me? No. No, Rio doesn't want me. <laughs> Kids are honest, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't pick that guy. Right? Really? Like, no, you don't pick that guy in your fantasy draft of who's going who's gonna to beat the Midianites up. He's the last guy you pick. Gideon says, you can't, you can't possibly want me for this job. Saul, the first king of Israel, he says, I am, once again, I'm the, small, I'm the, I'm the least of my family. My family is least of the, of the clans. My family is least of the tribes. My tribe is the least in all the tribes of Israel. You don't want me. God says, yes, I do. Saul falls away. Samuel picks his successor. The guy that's supposed to be the next king is King David. His dad is approached by the prophet of Israel. Send me your sons. One of them's going to be king. And he brings out all his sons except for that short little redhead in the field. Then he goes, no, you don't want him. Can you imagine your own dad? Your own dad is like, nah, not... Not that ginger. Don't, don't, just pick somebody else. Thank God for gingers. It says he was ruddy, so I'm taking that to mean he had red hair, but maybe he didn't. Uh, you don't want that kid. He's, 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 he's the runt. All, all, over the, all over the place. How many people like Samuel and Samson? John the Baptist. These three guys were born from mothers who could not have kids. God loves using these, once again, he said, Bethlehem, smallest town in the smallest tribe, small, not even counted amongst the clans of Judah. So God loves picking small places, small people, and small moments, seemingly small, to plant seeds. You know, today I started this earlier, this service, talking about how God had awakened something in the kids and our young people in the church. And I, I can't even comprehend what, that's, what those seeds will grow into. 
But I'm really excited because I know it's something big. You know, when Jesus said to his disciples, and they're trying to do crowd control and keep the kids back, and Jesus rebukes his disciples and said, let those kids come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Who in the world would trust the kingdom of God to little kids? Why are you giving it to little kids? They don't know what to do with it. He's flipping everything upside down. There's a, there's a verse in Zechariah when God is speaking to the man who's supposed to rebuild the temple, Zerubbabel. Once again, it's a great name. <laughs> I know Kelly is about to give birth any, any hour now. Zerubbabel's on the table, Brian and Kelly. It's there. You can call, I'll call him Bubba. It's good. Like, they could, you could be gone in an hour giving birth to this child. So write it down now. It's a word from the Lord. No, it's not. But he says to Zerubbabel, you're going to finish what you started. Because when Zerubbabel started, everybody was excited. But then when he got into it, everybody quit on him. Talk about building projects, right? Everybody quits on him. He's, he's, he feels de- just lost. I can't do this. I can't finish the job. God says, you will. And you'll put the final piece on it with shouts of grace. Because it's not by might nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then he says to them, he says to him, for who has despised, and the word despised means to think nothing of it. Who has despised the days of small beginnings? See, if the kingdom is like a seed, we need to be more spiritual in the way we look at small things and small people and small places. I think about this often. I think about it often in the fact that Jesus was without honor in his own hometown. And the two places I've ever pastored in my life are the only two places I've ever lived in my life. <laughs> I pastor in the only two hometowns I've ever had. I think about Loon Lake, Loon Lake, Saskatchewan, which you know is our sister church. I think about God, what are you doing in Loon Lake? You know, I love Loon Lake. And every time I always check back with God, God, are we still supposed to be here? Not because I want to leave, but because you just want to be following the Lord. Mm-hmm. The answer is always yes. But I feel this, and I know you feel this too, this sense that that little community has great significance in the kingdom of God. Amen. That there's something about where it is in the north mm-hmm. that matters. There's something about its relation to the other communities and reserves in the area that matters. And that that could have more of an impact on our nation than the city of Vancouver. So what can God do with small things in small places and small people? First of all, no person is small in the eyes of God, just in our eyes. The Israelites said, we could not take the land for we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. God never called them grasshoppers. They called themselves that. Sometimes we think it's faith to only pay attention to big things because God doesn't want me to think small. Starting small is not a lack of faith. It's the opposite. It is faith. Because when you start with exceed, you're having to trust that God will give the growth. Jesus went over to the other side of Galilee and he, uh, as you guys remember, he went to a, a culture, it was the Decapolis region, just 10 cities that had really left the true worship of Jehovah. And they had turned to 
pagan ways. They had really become, uh, even if they'd stuck to Judaism, it was a um, really surface level worship of God. It was, it was very Greek now. They had kind of uh, become like the culture that they were part of. So much so that it wasn't unusual that a guy was herding pigs in a place that used to be kosher. Mm. You know, it wasn't unusual. This, is, this was the, 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 the Pharisees and the Essenes called this place the far-off country. Those people are lost. Those people have given up on the true worship of God. So much so that when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, and he said that son went off to the far-off land to, with, to do stuff with loose living, he was talking about that place. That's the place. That's their Vegas, where you're just going to go lose all your money and be dumb. Now I know there's other things to do in Vegas. Don't get condemned. <laughs> I saw the circus there. It was nice. Yeah, fine. Okay. I'm just using an example. That was their sin city. And Jesus comes over and he finds a man who's been living in the cemeteries, naked, cutting himself, screaming. And they keep chaining him to the tombs to try to keep him away from their kids. And he keeps breaking free. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus finds out that this man has thousands of evil spirits living in him. And he sets him free from every single one of them. And when the townspeople come and they see him, they're freaked out. Not because a crazy naked man is out again, but because a crazy naked man is in his right mind and he has clothes on. That freaks them out. That's what freaks them out. People are more freaked out when God restores a person that used to be nuts. That, that's what freaks people out. Because people, you know what our society does? Our society says, lock them up, keep them away from us. Yeah. Medicate them to death, keep them away from us, but do not let them, just, just keep them over there. Just, if you've got to lock them up, lock them up, but we just don't want to deal with them. But Jesus was never afraid to deal with anybody. In fact, he ran to those people. That's right. And as they almost died on the way there, or at least according to the disciples, we're going to die. They get there. Jesus delivers this man. And the city says, you have to leave now. We don't want you here. Jesus gets back in the boat after ministering to one dude. In fact, well, according to the other gospels, this guy had a sidekick. The last thing this guy needs is a sidekick, but he's got one. So two guys. All right, so two. He leaves after freeing two people. He gets back in the boat. And as he's about to get back in the boat, the man runs up to him and says, Lord, let me come with you. See, I don't want to go back to the people that chained me to the tombs. I don't want to go back to the people that looked me in the face as they put bonds on me and said, you, you know, we would love to kill you, but we're not going to do that. You're just going to, you just stay away from us. Jesus says, no, you, you can't come with me. Go back and tell your community what great things I've done for you and the mercy that God has had for you. That's all he knows. He hasn't had a day of Bible school. He hasn't had, God didn't send, put a bundle of mini books in his hands. <laughs> Listen to these podcasts, you'll be fine. He's got nothing except I was crazy and now I'm not. That's yeah. all he's got. He has to go back to the people that were really, really terrible to him. He has to go back to family members that disowned him. And he has to look at them and he has to say, I'm here to live amongst you and tell you what God did for me. Yeah. Yeah. And when Jesus came back, Sometime later, to that region, the scripture tells us that the shores were full of people, mm. sick, oppressed people, mm. who came to Jesus and said, heal us. Right. Crowds, 
Great multitudes, the scripture says, of people met him when he came back. How did those people know about Jesus? Did he send one of his best guys? Did he send his right-hand men? No, he sent that guy who has one story. It's all he got. <laughs> crazy naked guy is going to preach again. He's not crazy na in, in, or naked anymore. He's got one story, guys. Have you heard his story? Because that's all he's got. <laughs> Excuse me, friends. I, I have something to say. Uh, I heard, he's going to say the story again. He's going <laughs> to... That's all he's got, but it's enough to bring crowds to Jesus. What is he? That man is a seed that Jesus sowed into the region. Oh, if you, want to, if you want to reach a region, that's not how you do it. This breaks all the rules of missions. Every single rule. It's not the guy you leave there. He's going to destroy the organization. There was no organization. Just a man who knew what God did. A very small man in the eyes of everybody else. But he's a seed that Jesus left. Now listen, this is why I say that. Because Jesus trusted that God will use a seed and God will cause it to grow. Jesus didn't have to keep checking up on that guy. He, he came back. I mean, the guy eventually needs some help. And I don't mean mental help, but I mean like he needs some fellowship. He needs somebody. He did come back, but... Jesus trusts that I'm going to leave this man who has no experience. He's only known me for a couple hours. But I'm going to trust that this seed is going to bring crowds to me later. Yes. What can God do with a seed? What can God do with the one conversation you have with somebody on a plane when they're nowhere near close enough? They do not want to hear what you have to say and they're certainly not going to pray with you. But what can God do with that seed in that moment? Now I'm all for them praying with you. I'm all for, uh, you know, the, the other thing we need to know is in that parable, it, it, they trusted God to grow the harvest, but then what did you have to do when the harvest was there? You had to go get it. That's what we need to know about evangelism. Oh, God will bring the harvest. Yeah, God will bring the harvest. You're the one who's supposed to bring it into the house. Right? God makes the harvest. We have to recognize the harvest and go get it. But... Uh, this idea of the kingdom messes with my ideas. I hope it messes with yours a little bit. Because it, it takes faith to believe that God starts with something so small and insignificant and you can't make it bigger, but he can. You can water it, you plant it, and then you recognize when there's harvest. But there's nothing you can do to make it bigger and sometimes that's very frustrating to us. We want to be builders. And God called you to be a builder. But there's times where seeds, they just need to grow. What I want you to do today is I want you to think about the people God put in your life that you see as insignificant. I want you to think about the places he's called you that you don't think live up to your full potential. Maybe they don't deserve your gift. You're too big. I want you to think of the moments in your life that you count as insignificant. This is not a big moment. This was a little conversation. What can God do with it? What can God do with it? Jesus actually said that we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers. I think one of the things we need to recognize is when there's a seed planted, not, not only do we just need to trust God and forget about it, I think we need to pray about it. I think we need to recognize it, we need to see it, and we need to not give up on it so soon. Quit throwing out small things, exchanging them for big things. Because often those big things are big because we built them and we think they're big. But that small thing's going to last. It's got life in it. A big thing that you built won't grow. 
right? Your house, hopefully, is not growing by itself. That's a problem. If it's growing something and you're not building it, you need to have someone come in and remove that. But the tree that you planted in the backyard, now that's growing, right? Yeah. So, so often, we value the things we built, but those things we built, they're not going to grow any bigger. But the things that God planted, there's no limit. I want to leave you with this thought. Brother Tim and I were talking about this. He had the same thought. I don't remember who first said it to me. I think it was Pastor Tracy. He said, you know, you can open an apple. You can count the seeds in that apple. You can find out exactly how many seeds are in an apple. But you can never know how many apples are in one seed. One seed. How many apples are in that seed? We value the fruit. We, often we don't value the seed. Because fruit's done. It's ready to eat. We like things that are ready to eat. Fast food. We're ready. But a seed, you have to have faith that it's going to be something bigger. And that seed produces something far beyond its reach. The mightiest trees were contained in these little seeds. What mighty things has God planted in your life that started with little moments and little people in little places? That's why I rejoice today as we get to baptize some older, some younger. But in each and every one of them, God has planted a seed that's going to produce something. And if we honor it now and we celebrate it now, how much more will we celebrate when we begin to see the fruit decades from now? We'll see fruit today, but it's going to be fruit for the rest of their lives. Let's celebrate that together. I'm going to invite the praise and worship team up.